Hello and welcome to Wall Street Vision. On this show, we explore the thinking of the best investors and we examine lessons from the stock market. I'm your host, Vlad Dolgochev. This show is for informational purposes only and is not investment advice. Check out the show notes for the full disclaimer. Hello, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I just finished reading a book called Education of a Value Investor. The book is written by Guy Spear, and it's a pretty good read. Guy Spear is this value investor. His investment company is called the Aquamarine Fund. I haven't looked into his latest performance numbers, but Guy has had good stretches of time where he outperformed the S&P 500 index. He's also the guy that paid $650,000 to have lunch with Warren Buffett as a charity event. He has an interesting story, and I got some good takeaways from the book. I want to share my top takeaways with you here. In this week's episode, I'm going to cover the story of how he dealt with the financial crisis, how Guy sets up his work area, why checking stock prices every hour might not be a good idea, and Guy's method of sorting through investment research and why the order of doing that is really important. As always, we're going to start with a story. I'm sure you've all heard about or lived through the great financial crisis of 2008-2009. This was a really hard time for anyone in the financial industry. And it was a hard time for Guy's fund as well. So the crisis hits, and it's huge, and regular people are freaked out, and professional investors are losing their cool as well. At some points during the crisis, you just don't know which companies are going to survive and which companies have massive risks hidden somewhere on their balance sheet. Guys' clients get really scared, and they send their requests to liquidate their accounts. That means they're selling all their stocks and going into cash, all except for one of his institutional investors leave his firm. His assets under management go from $120 million to about $60 million. That's a lot of pressure. Now you've got to remember that guy owns the company. And at this point, it pretty much looks like their revenues are going to get cut in half. And this is a company that he built up using his blood, sweat, and tears. Guy put in massive effort when he was putting the company together, and it all might evaporate because of the financial crisis. Imagine the stress of that. Even his dad is calling him and asking him, should I sell all my stocks? And his father is a really smart investor. So everybody is sort of afflicted by this fear that's going around. Guy's office at the time is in Manhattan's Carnegie Hall Tower, which is this massive, beautiful office tower. And in the middle of the crisis, Guy starts taking a bus to work because he's thinking there's no way to know how everything is going to play out. And he doesn't want to waste a few extra dollars taking a cab. Just think about that for a second. The level of fear is so high that you have this millionaire CEO taking a bus to work to save a few dollars. Just picture being super rich and having a successful investment company and then all of a sudden you're taking the bus to work. It's crazy. You can imagine that the atmosphere around Wall Street is really somber. These finance people are all on edge. There's no banter or chatter around the office. Everyone's worried about their paychecks, and they're all probably dusting off their resumes. 
With a big crisis like that, there's a good chance that a bunch of firms are going to go out of business. Guy usually keeps the door to his office open, but in these crazy times, he keeps it closed, trying to keep all that doom and gloom energy away from him. He has to dig deep to keep his courage going. He's reading Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, which is about stoicism and keeping a rational mindset above all else. It's a book that talks about welcoming hard times as an opportunity to prove your courage. Buffett has this quote where he says that temperament is more important than IQ in investing. And that totally makes sense. Let's say you have the smartest investor that can do the best analysis. But if they get scared when the market goes for a tumble, and if they sell all their stocks instead of buying stocks at the time, they're not going to be very successful. The situation is so crazy during the great financial crisis that this hardworking, smart analyst who works for Guy comes into his office and tells him that he sold off all his stocks in his personal account. The analyst says that he's freaked out and that he wants to see how things are going to settle down before he starts buying stocks again. Now this wasn't client money. It was just the analyst's personal money, so it doesn't affect the fund. But the whole philosophy of the greatest investors is to buy when there are good deals in the market. And if all of Guy's clients did the same thing as the analyst, Guy's fund would be in deep trouble. Imagine being in Guy's shoes at the time. You're barely keeping your head straight with all this doom and gloom. You're wondering if your fund's going to survive. You're probably having daily calls with clients telling them to stay invested in stocks and that everything is going to work out okay. And here comes your number two guy, and he's telling you that he just went all to cash in his personal account. I'm sure Guy wanted to scream at him. So Guy is not impressed with the analyst, and that's one of the reasons that later on he decided against having one. It's interesting that Buffett and Monish Babrai also don't have analysts working for them. So the story has a happy ending as the market bounced back slowly but surely, and Guy's funds survive. Several of the stocks that Guy bought during those crisis times give a return of 3, 4, or 5x. But living through that gave him a valuable experience and he knew that he had to make some changes. The crisis was so tough on Guy that he basically saw how being in that sort of environment was making it harder for him to make the right decisions. I think that whole experience led him to study a lot about the mental blind spots that can cause investors to take the wrong actions. We've discussed some of these blind spots on the show before, and what Guy figured out is that even if you're aware of them at a logical level, you can still fall into these traps to make the wrong decisions. It's what Daniel Kahneman talked about in his book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Essentially, you have two ways of thinking. It's like your brain is a rider sitting on top of an elephant. The rider is the logical part of your brain. But even the best rider can have trouble steering an elephant that behaves irrationally from time to time. The elephant is like the automatic brain responses. The elephant is more concerned about survival. As a simple example, let's say you're at the office in a post-COVID world and someone's handing out uh, freshly baked chocolate chip cookies. The rider part of the brain is going to say, Oh, no, thank you. I don't want any of those. Um, I'm on a diet. Now, the elephant part of the brain is probably going to reach out and grab one or two or three. 
the rider part of the brain knows that you're not going to starve if you don't eat those cookies. Now, the elephant part of the brain wants to eat every single calorie it can so that it increases its chances of survival. Logic is one thing, but primal instincts linked to survival can hijack the best of intentions. It's a big reason why smart people act in ways that seem really dumb. Okay, so Guy realized that it's super hard to make good decisions, so instead he focused on making changes to his environment so that his processes automatically led him to make better decisions. This is really smart. A simple example is from my days working as a personal trainer. Let's say if a client is trying to lose weight. One of my recommendations would be for them not to keep any junk food in the house. That's a simple thing to do and it increases their chance of success by a lot. The reason being, it's way easier not to eat any junk food if you don't have anything in your house. Then it becomes less about willpower. Our emotional states can really get the best of us. It's like the analyst working with Guy who went to cash during the great financial crisis. Logically, the analyst knew that this could be a bad move from an investing perspective, but his emotions got the best of them. Next up, we're going to go over a few examples of things that Guy did to help him act more rationally. Before we dive into that, I'll quickly mention that if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe using your podcast app. And if you know someone who would find this content valuable, please share this episode with them. My goal for the podcast is to help people learn the lessons from the best investors and to help people understand the stock market better. I think that's important today because there's lots of information out there that can lead people on the wrong path, and I would love for more people to benefit from this type of content. Alright, back to the show. The first thing Guy did to improve his investing after the financial crisis is he moved from New York to Zurich, Switzerland. He also chose an office space that was outside of the financial district and off the beaten path in a building that didn't have any other investment managers. This is something he learned from Warren Buffett. Being in a nice, quiet, insulated place allows you to think rationally instead of getting swept away by the herd when things go haywire. Guy looked at how calm Warren Buffett was during the crisis. Warren lived in Omaha, Nebraska, and he's super far away from Wall Street. Warren has a low-key office at this plaza where a bunch of other tenants are contractors that build bridges, roads, and tunnels. Warren Buffett is not surrounded by finance people. And of course, Zurich has a lot less finance people than New York. The other benefit of moving to Zurich was to be in an environment where a guy wasn't constantly looking at other super successful investors and comparing his success to theirs. If you're living in New York and you're a millionaire, you can feel very inadequate when you look at the lifestyles of billionaires. Guy's perspective was that this could subconsciously make him take more risk by trying to catch up to those other uber-successful investors who had bigger bank accounts than him. Now, don't get me wrong, Zurich is also really expensive, but it's the kind of place where there's amazing lakes and skiing, and the public transport system is so good that even local billionaires take it. So being in that environment where things are more equal is good for the mind. It reduces jealousy and envy feelings that might cause a person to have a higher appetite for risk. There's a ton of research on this. 
is like the joke, what's the easiest way to make yourself feel bad? Check your Instagram. There's always someone out there who's doing something cooler and more fun, and Guy was trying to get away from that type of thing. Alright, so I personally don't want to move to Switzerland to improve my investing, but my takeaway here is that it's important to be aware of your environment. And that includes your physical environment and the people you surround yourself with. Maybe there's a certain person that easily freaks out about declines in the stock market, and being around them would be hard if there's a big market crash. This reminds me of this guy that I used to work with years ago. He was a very smart, capable guy, and he drove a nice Audi R8, and he was achieving big things in his career. But he was the most negative person that you could ever talk to. He was always trying to think up the most terrible, worst possible situation, and he'd focus on that. Now, don't get me wrong, it's good to have a dose of that type of thinking because it can make you see stuff that you might miss. But at the same time, you don't want to make that sort of person your influence on a daily basis. I think it's good to be surrounded by logical, even-tempered people because that can act like a sort of ballast to keep you centered if there's a big market crash. Another important thing is how to set up the office space. Warren Buffett has a really simple office. I'm pretty sure he still doesn't have a computer in there, and I don't think that he has an email address. And I don't think that the reason for that is because this guy's 91 years old. I think the reason is that it helps him avoid unnecessary brain stimulation so that he can just focus on the things that matter. The way Guy Spear set up his office is he has one room that's called the busy room. That room has his phone, computer, and four monitors. And then on the other end of the hallway, there is a library. There is no phone or computer in the library. That's where he sits and thinks. That's where he reads books or studies financial statements. The whole point is to be able to go to a place where there is minimal mental stimulation so you can do deep work. The type of work where you really think deeply about a topic with zero distractions. By the way, the library is also where Guy takes naps. Monish and Warren are also known as taking naps throughout the day. That's an interesting office policy. It definitely helps them increase their productivity. Hopefully more companies get on board with that sort of thing. And on his office walls, Guy has pictures and statues of great investors like Charlie Munger. The point is not to worship these investors, but instead it's to have them as a constant reminder. It makes your brain think, what would Charlie Munger do if he was in this type of situation? As an example, Winston Churchill had statues of Napoleon and Admiral Nelson at his office. I'm sure that he would think about what those guys would do in specific situations that Winston Churchill would find himself in. So the same thing applies in investing as well. One interesting anecdote is that Warren Buffett has this box in his office that's called his Too Hard Box. Essentially, it's a box where he'll dump any sort of research project or company that is just too difficult for him to understand. And I think it's amazing that the best investor of all time has the humility to acknowledge that some things are just too hard to figure out and are not really worth it. It's a good reminder that in investing, you've got to leave ego at the door and be really realistic and humble. One more thing about the office setup. I read this book, Atomic Habits, recently, and that book is all about how to set up good habits. The author says that ideally you want to have each place for a specific task. 
So if your work desk is for doing your work, you don't want to watch Netflix there. And if your kitchen table is for eating, you don't want to do your work on your kitchen table, and so on. I think that's a great concept, and I've personally applied it. Each location should be for a specific task, because that allows your brain to get used to it. If you watch Netflix on your work desk, and that's also where you do your investment research, guess what? Next time you sit down to do your investment research, your brain is going to send you a signal to put on the next episode of Stranger Things. Ideally, each device should serve a specific purpose as well. So if you do your investment research on your laptop, ideally you'd only watch Netflix on TV or on your phone. Now this stuff might seem really silly and not important, but our brains are wired in a strange way, and doing these sorts of small adjustments can make a big difference. The elephant part of our brain is stomping around and sometimes the rider has a hard time controlling the elephant. So what Guy mentioned in the book, and what I really believe myself, is that you've got to set everything up as part of a habit so that you do it automatically. As an example, for me, I use my desktop exclusively for work stuff, whether it's podcast stuff or reading about investing, and I use my phone for entertainment. That way my brain doesn't get confused, and it's a little trick that can really help me focus. I have a few other little gold nuggets that I found in the book that I really liked and that I want to share with you. The first is Guy's recommendation to stop constantly checking stock prices. This one is interesting, and it doesn't apply to all investors. But if an investor is a buy-and-hold type of investor, it totally makes sense. If you're the average investor putting in a fixed amount of money per month into your retirement savings account, this is also good advice. Essentially, there's this glitch in our brains that treats the stock price movement as a call to action. This means that it invites the investor to either buy or sell. Now, if you're some sort of day trader, yeah, it might make sense to check the stock prices all the time because that's your investment strategy. That's what it's built on. But if you're a buy-and-hold type of investor that buys stocks or ETFs or index funds and holds them for years, that type of following of the price so closely can actually make you take more actions that can hurt your investment performance over time. It's like the old Buffett quote where he says that when you buy a business, you should be okay if the stock market closed for the next five years. And also remember that short-term stock price fluctuations are mostly random. So checking stock prices every hour is a lot of stimulus that might cause more harm than good. Now look, I'm sure there's great investors out there that check stock prices all the time. And that's totally okay. I'm just sharing what has worked for Guy and what he shares as being a good philosophy. The second gold nugget is to gather investment research in a specific order. The human mind is kind of like a human egg. As soon as a sperm gets into a human egg, it shuts off. There's the shutoff mechanism that prevents anything else from getting inside the egg. So the human mind is similar to that because if an idea gets into the brain, the brain also has this sort of shutoff mechanism where it doesn't let any other ideas get into the brain to displace that idea, right? Essentially what he's saying is that it's really important to be careful of what idea you first put into your brain. So when he's researching a company, he likes to start with the most unbiased sources of information, like the quarterly, annual reports, and proxy statements. All that sort of stuff is more dry to read, and is not really promotional material. 
so it gives you an opportunity to form a somewhat unbiased opinion. Afterwards, Guy gets into less objective stuff like the earnings announcements, press releases, and transcripts of conference calls. And the last thing that he does is to read articles about the company. The reason he follows that order is to allow himself the chance to come to a conclusion based on unbiased information. That way he can form his own conclusions instead of being influenced by other people. The problem that a lot of investors fall into is a lot of times the first thing they read about is someone's opinion about the stock, and that influences them right away. It's so much harder to get an objective opinion about a stock or a different security if you start with a biased piece of research off the bat. So in this case, the worst thing to do is to start with an internet post or some sort of article about someone recommending a stock. That ingrains that sort of idea in the brain off the bat, which makes it so much harder to make a good decision later on about that stock or security. It's the same reason Guy doesn't like discussing his current investments. Doing that is just pounding in his idea more and more into his own head. That means it's going to be harder for him to change his mind later on. So it's something everyone should be aware of. So those were some of my biggest takeaways from the book. And I just want to give you guys some rapid fire takeaways to summarize the episode. People should be conscious of their environment, both physical and the kinds of people they're exposed to. Surroundings can have a huge effect on investment decision making. For buy and hold investors, checking their stock prices and portfolios on a daily basis can be counterintuitive because it can invite them to take more actions than they really should be taking. And investors should consider the order that they get information for a potential new investment. It's good to try to get unbiased information first so that they can form their own conclusions about the investment. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, I recommend you check out episode 25 of the podcast. In that episode, we cover some mental blind spots that can hurt investors. Being aware of those blind spots is the first step to avoid falling for those traps, kind of like what we explored in this week's episode. Alright Vision Nation, that wraps it up for this week's episode. If you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and if you know someone who's interested in investing, please share this episode with them. Thank you so much, and I hope you have an amazing day. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. I may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast. The show is copyrighted by The Wall Street Vision. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.